in Parashat Mas'ei. This is the Shia that um, the whole world reconnects. Parashat, this, this Shabbos. At the end of Shabbos, everybody will be in the same place in Kriyat HaTorah. And then, until this Shabbos, in Chutzlaretz, they were a week behind us. Right? This Shabbos, everybody, so that Dvarim is together. Everybody does Dvarim together. So this Shayu is sponsored by friends of David Wicks, Zichrono Lebracha and his memory, Lilui Nishmat David, Ben Mordechash, and Mei Zichrono Lebracha. So, I wanted, uh, you know, we, we are sort of stuck to Parshat HaShabuah. And Parshat HaShabuah, it takes a long time to get through the book of Bamidbar, and a long time to get through the book of Dvarim. It's hard to, um, to remember that the book of Babidbar, the second half of the book of Babidbar, starting from Pinchas, or the second part of Pinchas, until the end of Dvarim, all happened in, in no time at all. Uh, there was just, they were ready to go to Eretz Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu said whatever he said, then they went to Eretz Yisrael. But this took part of a half of Bamidbar to tell this story, took half of Bamidbar and all of, all of the book of, of Dvarim. So this, uh, during this time, during this time when they were getting ready to go to Eretz Israel, different things happened. But one of the things that happened was that there was an adjustment of the 12 tribes. Everybody knows, everybody knows we all spoke about it from time to time that the situation in the family of Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov changed, right? The situation changed. Avraham had two sons, but he could only bear one of them. He could only have one son, right? And that one son, whose name was Yitzchak, became Avram's only son, even though he had many other children. Right? He had Yishmael, and then he had the children of his wife Keturah, which Chazal say also was um, that Keturah was um, um, Hagar, that Keturah was Hagar, but it didn't produce a family. It didn't produce a family. The f Hagar was really not the mother of his children. He sent them away. They led a life of their own, and the inheritors, the family of Avraham Avinu, became Yitzchak. He was the son. Now the same thing or something similar happened to Yitzchak. He had two sons who were, I think we would call them twins, right? I don't know if they were fraternal twins or identical twins. I imagine at least, you know, in my mind, it's hard for me to imagine that they would be identical. That would be annoying. So I guess they, you know, I mean, the, the Chumash says that they didn't look the same. One was red and one was not. One was hairy and the other was not. So, but, but to have twins, you have twins with one mother. It's like there's no other way to do that. One mother produces twins. So you would think that that would, have, that would be a family. 
That'd be a thing. I mean, the interesting thing is that Yitzchak actually tried to make it into a family. And he, when he was old and he wasn't able to function so well, he decided, he decided to give Esav a bracha. And you remember that story, right? He said to Esav, go and get, bring food, because this is in, in the Nefesh HaChaim also says, is that food uh, makes you more, it makes giving a bracha more appropriate. Like if you do me a favor, I want to do you a favor. If you do something nice to me. So that's what Yitzchak said to his son Esau. Do something nice, and then I'll do something nice. His wife, Rivka, heard this and thought this was a terrible disaster. Whether Rivka was right or not is a matter, is, is open. Right? You could think about it. Was she right? That Yitzchak didn't know what was going on? That Yitzchak wanted to give away a bracha to Esau that really should have gone to Yaakov? Or, or was it that, that uh, uh, Yitzchak knew? Yitzchak knew that, that, Esau, that Esau was not um, the person who you could build the future on. Now you can't make a future out of out of Esau, but he thought that he could bring him into the family. Of course, the end of the story, the end of the story. I mean, uh, this question is an important question, but it's not our it's not our parasha, right? The important question is, like, what was Yitzchak doing? Did he know what he was doing? Was he in favor of Esau becoming the primary inheritor of of the bracha uh, that was given to Abraham? To me, that's uh, inconceivable, inconceivable shot, so to speak. I, I, mean, I, can't, I can't even imagine it. Uh, so I think that, I think Rivka was mistaken. But how much was she mistaken? And why did he, why was it that Yaakov, who was an Ishtam, Yoshev O'Alim, which the Gemara explains as being a Talmud Chacham, right? That's what he did, he learned Torah. How come he was willing he was willing to lie. And you remember, you remember when Yaakov, when Yitzchak said to Yaakov, who are you? Who are you? What did, you, what did, uh, what did he say? Anochi Esav Bechorecha. Anochi Esav Bechorecha. Which Rashi explains in a kind of a pretty amazing Rashi. Rashi says, Anochi you have to read it this way. Anochi is Anochi. I am who I am. You know, like one of those Gertrude Stein lines. I am who I am who I am. Ve'esav bechorecha. Ve'esav bechorecha. So, so according to Rashi, Yaakov didn't lie technically because you could read the Pasuk with a different niggin. You know that, you know that, that when you get, um, when you read a play, you read the, the text of a play, it has, it, it includes a nigan. You know, you say, question, exclamation, terror. You know, like, there are all these stage directions of how you're supposed to, how you're supposed to speak because the, the words and the punctuation of those words are not sufficient in a play. So that's really what Rashi says. Like Rashi says, how do you know? How do you know what, what Yaakov said? There are no, they used to call them supra-segmental markings. 
You don't know whether he said it this way or he said it that way, whether he meant Anochi and then Esav Bechorah. You don't know, so maybe he said that. So if you're committed, Rashi says, if you're committed to the idea that Yaakov is not going to tell a lie, which sort of is counter-indicated by the picture that we have of, of, of Yaakov. Of Yaakov was righteous and learned and studious, and he was sitting in the, in the yeshiva of Sheba Eber. <coughs> so we compare him, we compare Yaakov to Talmidei Chachomim that we may have met, you know, recently. And we say, we say he can't be, so here's Rashi, comes to save us. But Rashi, Rashi could not save the fact that Esau felt as though he was done in, that he was sent away, no less than Yishmael was sent away, except that because, I would say, I would think, because Esau was closer to Yaakov than Yishmael was to Yitzchak, right? Yishmael and Yitzchak, they had the same father but different mothers, so, so Yishmael, his father said to Yishmael, like, you go, go on your own, you know, become a rancher or something. So it was fine, he, he did that. But Esau, Esau felt that he, he had after all the same father and the same mother. And when they had the same father and the same mother, they said, you shouldn't be part of the inheritance, you shouldn't be sent away. But here Esau was sent away, <coughs> actually. So Esau, again, again, Yitzchak was not capable, was not capable of integrating Esau into the family, which is what I think that Yitzchak really wanted to do. Rivka said, it's hopeless, right? You know, when it comes to this, in the, in the Chumash, in the Chumash, the women are more perceptive, right? Sarah was more perceptive about Yishmael, then Abraham, Abraham was into the Baal Tshuva thing. And he says, oh, don't worry, we'll be nice, we'll give him food, give him a little chont, he'll run around the house on Shabbos, and everything will be fine. And Sarah said, it's hopeless. So she was right. The same thing is true about Rivka. Yitzchak said, look, I'll, I'll take him in, I'll eat with him, I'll give a bracha, maybe he'll be... After all, he has good genes. He comes from the same place that, that Yaakov comes from. Rivka knew that this could not work. Rivka knew, so I'm just, I'm just saying that in the family context, you could say, <coughs> you know, I don't like to say things that are too bombastic, but I like to be dramatic. So bombastic and dramatic are closely related. But as long as you know that, you can take it all with a grain of salt. These two examples seem to indicate that when it comes to matters of family, matters of family, that, and, and the situation is hopeless, the women know that. The women in our stories knew the hopelessness of it. And the men, Avram Avinu and Yitzchak Avinu, they didn't know that. They thought that... Uh, you know, Chazal say that Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu was the first Kiruv worker. You know, he was, he went around and he told them, So the Pesach said that Avram Avinu would bring in people and tell them that they should say Birkat HaMazon, and thank God for 
what they received, that in that way he would spread the idea. I mean, this idea of spreading, spreading the word that, that God was God and there was one God and only one God. This is something that is attributed to Avram Avinu. That not only, I mean, one of the chidushim of Avram Avinu was that he was not a philosopher. Philosophers could only talk to other philosophers. But people who are like mathematicians, I mean, they can talk to other mathematicians, they can't talk to anybody else. But Avram Avinu is described in Chazal as somebody who wanted to talk to everybody else, who wanted to make sure everybody else understood what he was, what he was coming from. So Avram was the first Kiru, was the first Kiru worker. And Yitzchak generally is described as following in the path of Avram Avinu, not perhaps about this specific matter, but in general. So the second family, the second family, the family of Yitzchak and, and uh, Yaakov and Esau, could not maintain itself. It broke apart. It broke apart, and, they, and uh, for Chazal, the, the tension, <coughs> the tension between Yaakov and Esau never ended. Never ended. Esau became Romy. Romy was the, the one who exiled us into the never-ending exile. I mean, you know, I, I mean, uh, I don't mean never-ending, like we may not be in exile, but the Jewish people, many of whom are still in exile. That's Esau. That's Esau. So that's Yaakov and Esau. Yaakov, however, changes all of that. Because Yaakov had at least 12 sons. And even though, even though we know that not all of the 12 sons acted, um, acted in a reasonable manner throughout their lifetime, right? In spite of that fact, the notion of 12 sons was maintained. Right, and so in the beginning, the first pasuk of the book of Shemot, which you don't have on the sheet, it doesn't matter. I'll read it to you. It says, "Ve'ele Shemot b'nei Yisrael ba'im Mitzrayma et Yaakov ishu ve'tov ba'u." So the people who came down to Mitzrayim, Yaakov ishu ve'tov. Right? You remember this was not an easy thing to get Yaakov to Mitzrayim. It was difficult. It was difficult. That's a separate story. Right, you remember when there was a famine, when there was a famine in the land, Avraham went to Mitzrayim. Avraham. There was another famine in the land, and Yitzchak also thought he should go to Mitzrayim because his father went to Mitzrayim. I mean, that was, for, that was Yitzchak, that was the ultimate measure of things. His father went to Mitzrayim. So he thought he should go to Mitzrayim. He thought he should go to Mitzrayim. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, no, Guba you stay here. And he went to the to, he went to the territory of the Plishtim, which was still in what we call Eretz Israel, the boundary of Eretz Israel. Even though the Plishtim, as I mentioned before, the Plishtim were never conquered. The Plishtim were never conquered. <coughs> so now you had these two models. There was the Avraham model and the Yitzchak model. Avraham went to Mitzrayim to get food, and Yitzchak didn't go to Mitzrayim, but went to Eretz Plishtim, where he was supported and got food. Finally, finally, Yaakov, he had to go to Mitzrayim. 
because HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised Avram Avinu that his children would be enslaved in Mitzrayim for 400 years and then there would be the ultimate redemption. But Yaakov, you can see from the story, Yaakov didn't want to go. Yaakov didn't want to be part of that. He didn't think he would have to go to be part of the exile. But finally, through a series of miraculous events, which uh, a, a person with a little bit of perception would say miraculous. I mean, you could say that they were natural, right? You know, Yosef becoming king, feeding the world, taking care of the brothers, sending them back, bringing father. You know, it was like pretty miraculous, even though each step of the way looked regular, looked like it could be understood as being regular, and therefore <coughs> Yaakov, Yaakov withheld his approval. Withheld his approval. Now this, of course, comes after a split in the family. Just like Yitzchak and Yishmael, and then Yaakov and Esau. There's another split in the family between Yosef and his brothers. Right? Yosef and his brothers, a split that was never completely healed. But somehow, somehow Yaakov manages to get them all back together again. Yaakov and Yosef. Yaakov and Yosef work together. They get them all together. I mean, Yaakov, remember when Yosef had a dream, Yaakov didn't want to tell the other brothers what happened because he knew that it was true that there was some sort of malchut kingship that was going to be bestowed upon Yosef. And that's what, that's what actually happened. So there's a departure. And there's a new world. And the new world is, the new world is that there's a family. And that the family innocent, guilty, or whatever, the family remains a family. And this, this was like the most radical change, but it was a necessary change <coughs> in order to produce cloud Israel, in order to produce a nation. If you would have maintained the standard of Avram Avinu, that everybody in cloud Israel had to be righteous, had to be like Avram Avinu, we would have never gotten this business off the ground. Right, where there would not have been, there would have not have been Am Yisrael. So Yaakov Avinu created Am Yisrael. How did he create Am Yisrael? He said, Ruvain, I don't like what you did. Shimon Levi, I don't like what you did. But you're in. Right, I'm talking about the brachot at the end of the, of the book of Breshit and Vayechi. Right, those brachot. Ruvain, he did what he did. Shibbat Levi did what they did. You're in. You're with me. I mean, I don't like it. I don't like what you did, what you did right? You know, he didn't want, Yaakov didn't want his name to be mentioned. Okay. He, was a, he did something wrong. He did something that was unexpected, but he was in the family. I think I'm describing like an Italian family or something. <laughs> but it's only this principle, the family principle, which allowed Am Yisrael to be created. And so we get to the question. We get to my, all this introduction was introduction to the question. If you look at the sheet, 
Right, Moshe Rabbeinu, this is an out parish, the parish of Mas A. Where it's out Moshe Bnei Yisrael Emor Zot Haaretz, Asher Titnachalu Ota Begoral, Asher Tziva Hashem Latet Letisha Matot Vechatziya Matet. So you know that something happened. That Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael, which became a nation based on two, the two elements that made us into who we are, right? The one was the, the element of family, which the Torah calls progeny, like children, got a lot of children. Obviously, if you have a lot of children, then they don't stay with you, so you didn't have any children. So when HaKadosh Baruch says to Abu Bavidu, then to Yisra, then to Yaakov, you can have a lot of children, that means that the children will remain part of the enterprise, even if they are not always worthy. Right, that's what it means. That's what the pshat is in having a lot of children. It doesn't mean you'll have a lot of righteous children. It means you'll have a lot of children. How do I know it doesn't mean you have a lot of righteous children? Because of Reuben, Shimon, and Levi. Because I know that they weren't all righteous. Or that they did things. And the, the, and the, the relationship between all of the brothers and Yosef. Yosef came out to be a star. So in the pattern of Avram and Yitzchak, Yosef should have been the only one left. And it is interesting that Yosef's two sons, Ephraim and Asher, become tribes. I mean, you can explain that any way you want, but you see that Yosef was, he was recognized as being something special compared to all the other, compared to the others. Wanted to ask? No. Benjamin was never, though, involved in any of the... Uh, wasn't born yet. Right, but so he wasn't involved in the sechsuch between the old brothers and Yosef. So, uh, it's hard to say that there's a grand nature to being not born. No, I mean, you're talking about... about in other words, you could say that it was uh, negative against all the brothers because they had to argue with Yosef, but there was no negative against Benjamin. That's true, but there was not... But he wasn't in a state where... In a situation where there could be a negative. He was sheltered. But because of Yosef. He was sheltered because of Yosef. Yosef sheltered him. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is what it says. It says in the Eretz Yisrael is going to be divided between nine and a half shvatim. Now, nobody... The, the, the Gemara doesn't mention it, and the Mephoshim don't mention it, but it seems to me that this is a statement that reflects on the breakdown or break up of the family situation. The family situation, because everybody understands that Ruvain, Gad, and then Shechatzi Shevit Menashe, who lived in Eva Hayardain Mizracha, the eastern side of the Jordan of the Jordan River, separated themselves from the rest of Cloud Yisrael. They were no longer part, even though it's true in last week's parasha, we saw that Moshe Rabbeinu made demands on them. And they made an agreement, you have to go be the first ones to fight, and you have to go and help and capture the land. And after the land is captured, you come back to where you are. Yes, all of that is true. 
But once they came back to the land that they had originally captured, the land of Sichon and Oak, they were in a different space. Because from certain, from the, from the, from the point of view of mitzvot tluyot ba'aretz, which is the measure of kibush Eretz Israel, the measure of kibush Eretz Israel is not only that you get a place to live, you conquer Eretz Israel, have a place, but you also create obligations which are called mitzvot. Mitzvot atliot ba'aretz are a function of kibush, of the, of the conquering of Eretz Israel. But in Eva Yarden Mizracha, those rules do not apply. So if that's the case, that those rules do not apply, then I would say <coughs> what they did, what Ruven and Gad Chatsi Shevin Menasheh did, I mean, after all, what was the purpose of oh, this whole story? Starting from Avram and Yitzhak and Yaakov and Yosef and, and going to Mitzrayim and coming back to Mitzrayim and going to Eritrea, what was the point? The point was to inherit the land which would obligate me to do these mitzvot. But to, not, to have land and not do the mitzvot seemed to be, at least for my narrow kind of yeshiva-based education, seemed to be kind of counterindicated. So that you could say, you could say that this, these psukim reflect, these psukim reflect, moved out of this sphere of Torah influence. They still learned Torah, and they did certain mitzvot that were connected to the land they were in, but it was not the same. It was not the same. Now this whole, this whole story, <coughs> this whole story came to an end. This whole story came to an end. This story about the family or went through a radical change because the family which Yaakov kept together, right? They were all together, they hated each other, but they were together. As long as Yaakov was alive, they didn't dare express their hate. And even though they, uh, they were willing at first to kill Yosef, you remember Yosef went looking for them? That's also an interesting story. I mean, why did Yosef go? Why did he go to look for them? Why did Yaakov send them? I mean, after all, they all knew that this was a bad situation that they didn't, they didn't get along. So, <coughs> so uh, the world, uh, this was the, this idea of the two and a half tribes that are different, that are separate, was the beginning of the breakdown of the family, which consisted of 12 tribes. And that family, that family, was was differentiated that family was differentiated by the different people involved who were not all of the same of the same ilk but you know that that Yaakov Avinu when he blesses his children in Mitzrayim 
But he, he blesses them as they were born. Ruvay, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. That's the order of the brachot that Yaakov gives out. So for Yaakov, there was still this kind of, uh, you know, the brachot was set up that way. But you know that when Moshe Rabbeinu gave the brachot in the, in the parasha of the Zota Bracha, when Moshe Rabbeinu gave out the brachot, he started with Ruvain for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, I, we could try to guess, but who came after Ruvain in the Zota Bracha? Yehuda. Yehuda. Who is Yehuda? Like in history, they have to tell me what it says in Rashi. But what is, who is Yehuda? Yehuda is the replacement of the 12 tribes. Yehuda becomes Am Yisrael, becomes the family. The family of Am Yisrael is called Yehuda. And the Romans, or the Romans, the Romans called it, called Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Yehuda. That's what they called it. Because that's what was left in 723 BCE. In 723 BCE, the <coughs> Sancheiriv ended the idea of 12 tribes. He exiled the 10 tribes that, were no, that lived north of Yerushalayim. He exiled them from Eretz Israel, And along with them exiled the two and a half tribes who lived in, uh, in Eva Yadin Mizracha. He exiled them as well. Was it, was it the bicycle? Not the bicycle. A suitcase. Mm. <laughs> what, a suitcase that walks and talks? Oh, yeah, yeah. The one that fell down and I went flying after it. Uh, <laughs> well, the bicycle is better. <laughs> so, so Sancheriv, Sancheriv put an, an end to the idea of the family, and you see that it's. It's in Moshe Rabbeinu's bracha. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Moshe Rabbeinu says Ruvain, and then Yehuda. Because that's all there was going to be, that was what's going to be left. Okay, Yehuda got Malchus, you got there, you know, all kinds, of, all kinds of reasons. What I mean to say is, what I mean to say is you see that in history there is the collapse, the collapse of the, of the idea that the family of Yaakov is made up of 12 tribes tribes distinguishing themselves one from the other, liking and disliking one from the other, and ultimately being replaced by Yehuda. Yehuda, now even though there was a memory, right, there was a memory, there was Binyamin and Shimon, right? Do you see the map? I always do this. I'm never quite sure if I, if I get away with it. You see the map in front of you, map of Israel? Right, should I draw it over here? Here's a map of Israel. Here's the Kinneret. This is the Jordan River. <coughs> and this is Israel. And here's Yerushalayim, right in the middle. Right, so the ten tribes were basically north of Yerushalayim. But on the border, on the border between Yerushalayim and Ephraim, which is like a very big Shevet, on that border was the tribe of Binyamin. 
Binyamin was kind of very friendly with Yehuda in geography. And so Binyamin got absorbed. In the south, south of Yehuda was another small tribe called Shimon. And they got absorbed. Until in the maps, it's all Yehuda. It's all Yehuda. There's no Binyamin. And no, it's only in the Gemara that Binyamin is left because there was a problem about who owned the territory of the Beit HaMikdash. Was it Yehuda or was it Binyamin? Okay, it's like an interesting, an interesting question. But you see that what happened was Yaakov Avinu created a family. But the family that he created was made up of tribes, of Shvatim. And those tribes, in order to distinguish themselves from each other, had to dislike each other to some extent. Otherwise, why would they be distinguished in the desert? In the desert, when they moved from one place to another, they camped. They had a very strict way of doing it. Three, three tribes on each side of a, of a square with the Mishkan, Ol Mo'ed, in the middle. Right? So each set of three, they distinguished themselves. According to the, the Chumash, they had flags. And the flags had, you know, animals on them. Each tribe had their own their own flags. <coughs> so that's what happened. That's what, that's what happened. So the question is, uh, a question might be, why did it happen? Why did it happen quite in this way? Why couldn't, why couldn't Yaakov had had one son, let's say Yosef, who went down to Mitzrayim for some reason and then brought his father? And that would be the beginning of the story of, of Am Yisrael. Why did we need the 12 tribes, which eventually were wiped out? And you know that the exile of the 12 tribes is different than the other two exiles. Right? Remember, there are three exiles. We don't usually think of it that way. But there's the exile of the 10 tribes by Sancheirev in 722 BCE maybe 723. I'm not good at dates. One of those dates is correct. Right? Sancheirev exiled the 10 tribes. Right? The northern 10 tribes, including Reuven, God, and Chatzis, Shev, and Menashe. The second, the second Galut was what we call Galut Bavel, Nebuchadnezzar. 586 BCE, all he had was well, the Jews who lived in Eretz Yisrael, he exiled them. But they weren't called tribes anymore. They were all called Yehuda. Whoever was there, whether it was Binyamin or Shimon originally, was all mushed together as, as Yehuda. And the third exile is the Galut Romi, which is going on to, till today, with, you know, the change of... of uh, Medinat Yisrael, if you think about it in that way. Apparently you don't have to. So that the, uh, well, why did you need the 12 tribes exactly? Why did you need this interlude with tribes in our history? I mean, what do we learn from that? What do we gain from that? So, here I am. Uh, let's look a little bit at this, this, on, this on the obverse side of this sheet. 
there's this uh, very long discourse by the pre-tzaddik. Uh, I will just uh, uh, a little bit, which is this uh, this discourse on the parish of Shemot is found in the pre-tzaddik in the beginning of of Shemot, right? Right, the pre-tzaddik of Tzaddik Hakohen of Lublin, right? Who I always say, you know, the great bracha was that he had no chassidim. So he had a lot of spare time, and he, won, he wrote wondrous things that we inherited. If he would have had chassidim, they would have annoyed him all the time, and he wouldn't have been able to produce what he produced. So let's read it a little bit. We'll try to follow. Parashat Shemot Matchil B'Shemot HaShvatim. Right, we read that before. B'Samach 660, 600, who, I'm sorry, who the Matan Torah Kemosha Amru B'Breshit Rabbah Al Pasuk Vayhi Or Vayomel Kimihi Or Vayhi Or It says in Breshit Right, the second or third Pasuk So in Breshit Rabbah it says Zeh Sefer Shmot Shuha Vayat HaOrat Torah That this is the book, this refers to the book of Shmot Which brings into the world Which brings into the world Torah, Habayat Ha'or Torah. Biyadua, the Samach Ribo Otiyot, 600,000 letters, but Torah neged Sishim Ribo Nefashot Yisrael. Ki Or HaTorah Hu Atzmo Or HaNefashot Bnei Yisrael. So certainly, you know, there's this connection between 600,000 letters. He says himself that the that they really if you count them, you don't get 600,000. It's a lot of letters. But somehow, in, in those, he's talking about Torah in a very kind of romantic way, right? Torah is light, and Torah is the world, and Torah is, is the Jewish people. Or on the Fashot of B'nai Yisrael. Masha Amru, Samach Ribo. Ein Samach Ribo, Tiyot. But do you see that? Before I thought he would say it, he said it. He says, he says, the reason that Chazal said Samach Ribo, that the 600,000, they didn't actually count it. I mean, they didn't sit there and count. Otiyot, Batoraki, Adua, Achikol, Ot, Bechubar, Meotiyot. He says, every letter is made up of letters. If you ever study Safrut, have you studied Safrut? Now it's becoming popular for women to study Safrut because they have, they generally have clear handwriting. So it's a little bit of a problem to write a Sefer Torah, but there are other things. It says here, uh, how can I explain this to you? I call Ot Mechubam Otiyot Kimo Lamed Min Mem Heim Kaf Vav. So, Lamed, how do you make a Lamed? Here, look at my pen here, I'll make a Lamed for you. You draw a cuff. Or well, maybe the other way. Cuff, get it? That's called a cuff. And then on top of the cuff, you put a Vav. And so you have a Lamed. So that's how you learn. That's how they teach Safrut. They teach that there are basic letters that repeat themselves. And then there are compound letters. So when you learn how to write, you learn how to write a, a kaf, 
and you learn how to write a vav, and you learn how to how to write a bet, a bet, right, with a kind of a thing on the bottom. It's like also a vav on the bottom. In other words, a, a bet, bet, is a resh, yes, and a vav lying down. That's how you that's how you learn a resh and a vav. So. Since the every letter is that is uh, is compound, uh, so you get a much bigger number if you count that way. But Agam skip two lines. Agam the gambaze ein hacheshbon mechuvan. This is not perfect. Samach ribo, I will tafsua mispar samach ribo shiyah bedor hamidbar mekublei. Torah. But they like that number, 600,000, because that's the number of people who received the Torah. And because all of the souls of all the generations are somehow included in this 600,000 number. So here you have the pre-tzadik. The pre-tzadik lived long after the shvatim came to an end. Like nobody knows what shevet they come from, except the B'nai Levi. The B'nai Levi somehow, because they didn't have a nachlo, that's a, that's a, a different story. But the B'nai Levi still know who they are. And the Kohanim, either they do or they don't. I mean, it was, we're more, it's more likely that the Levim know who they are than that the Kohanim know who they are. But okay, <coughs> that's why there's a, there's a minig in, in Yerushalayim, that's for Pidyon Aben, Pidyon Aben, you look for a Kohen Miyuchas. You want to have a coin because if you don't get a coin, who's a, let's say you get a fake coin. I mean, not that he's lying. He really thinks he's a coin. Somebody really thinks he's a coin. So you say, okay, you're the coin. Here, we'll do it. But if he's not a coin, then you have to do the pigeon of Ben over again. You have to do the pigeon of Ben over again. So there's a story that, the, I mean, I suppose it's true that the Vilna Gong, every time he was a Bechor, he himself was a Bechor. So every time somebody came to see him who was a Kohen, he would be to himself on the Kohen. Because he said, uh, you don't know. You never know if the Kohen is, if it's a real Kohen or not a real Kohen. So in Yerushalayim, when they tried to deal with this uh, problem, they invented the notion of Kohen Miuchas. Uh, who's a Kohen Miuchas? People I like, you know, like people who look that way. They look like they are hot in you. It's a separate, a separate story. Okay, so it says here. So you see, he's starting to say, so again, Shvatim, Shvatim are names, according to the Pritzadik. Each Shevet has a name, Ruben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, etc. Each name 
each name has a profound meaning within the notion of Torah. And therefore, therefore, what is it? I mean, this is what, <coughs> this is what the Pritzadik will continue to say. He says that each, each uh, 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 person, each person grabs onto the Torah through his shavit, through his shavit. That somehow, somehow there are different, uh, there are different ways of attaching yourself to the Torah. And those different ways are, are, are in the, uh, are in the, uh, they're in the, the names of the different shvatim. They're in the names of the different shvatim. The Arizal, 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 <laughs> Arizal, who we don't like to admit it, but had a tremendous influence on every one of us. Uh, so the Arizal quoted the, the, the Medrash and they said that the 12 tribes at the Kriyat Yam Suf, right, the Medrash says that each tribe went on his own. They had a path in Yam Suf for each tribe. And that each tribe, each tribe sang the Shira in its own way. And so the Arizal said, that's the root of Nuschaot in Tefillah. As you know, there's a Nuschach Ashkenaz, Nuschach Mizrach, Nuschach this, Nuschach that, there are all kinds of Nuschaot. So the Arizal said, Arizal said, Nuschaot, Nuschaot go back to Kriyat Yamsuf and the Shira of Bnei Yisrael at that time, which according to the Pritzadi go back to the Shemot of the, of the Shvatim. And therefore, therefore this divisive principle, I mean this is what I think I can learn from this, that this divisive principle was temporary. It was not man, a mandatory definition of Klal Yisrael that the, all of Klal Yisrael should forever be divided into tribes. And you see that the tribes at this time, at the end of the Parsha of Masay, uh, Reuven and God, Chatzay, Shevet, Menashe, they separated themselves. And so that the Galut, the Galut of, uh, of uh, Sancheriv, that's Galut Ashur, it's called. And then the Galut of Bavel, besides being a punishment and redemption, right? There was, there was no redemption for, for Nebuchadnezzar, however. I meant no redemption for Sancheriv. Right? The ten tribes didn't return. They didn't return as tribes. Nobody ever heard of them, even though the Gemara says that they're wandering off someplace or other. But Lemaaseh, unless you believe that all of Burma is full of little brown Jews, unless you believe that, they disappeared, right? They, 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 the ten tribes, they don't exist anymore. And that's because in order to, in order to reestablish, in order to reestablish the existence of Am Yisrael as a family which is not split up within itself, the tribes had to disappear. In other words, the tribes had to exist because we had to learn that that Avodas Hashem for Am Yisrael can take on different, can be different at different times, different places. They could be a Ruvain and a Shimon and a Levi. All of this, all of this could be, but ultimately those distinctions have to be kind of integrated within ourselves and not, not in term the the cause.
for separation and, and division. So that the Shvatim, the Shvatim, while they provided us, they provided with knowledge of information, that's what the Pre-Tzadik says. They, they, they explained something to us about the Torah. They said that there are different kinds of people who do Torah in different kinds of ways. I mean, legitimate different kinds of ways. That, that, these, that these people, these people had to be able to get along with each other in order to create Am Yisrael. Once that was done, you didn't need the Shvatim anymore. You didn't need the Shvatim, and so the Arizal said that what's left of all the Shvatim are the Nuschaot of Tefillah, which, you know, which all exist simultaneously. Everybody can daven. Whatever your minhag is, you can daven mincha in a different minhag. If that becomes uh, if that becomes necessary, so we see we see that the beginning of the breakup of the shvatim rule was in our parasha where Reuven got insisted on inheriting the land outside of Eretz Israel, and Moshe Rabbeinu allowed them to do that. The continuation was that the tribal distinctions disappeared either through war or through, uh, through lack of war, like I said, Shimon and Binyamin just got absorbed into Yehuda. They didn't, uh, they didn't have to, uh, be dis- to disappear in, uh, in warfare. And so, <coughs> so the, the, the Sefer Bamidbar, the book of Bamidbar ends with this, uh, what I, I see is like an interesting idea, interesting idea that uh, how Yaakov, how Yaakov created the family he not only created the notion that once you're in, you're in, and you don't go, you don't get pushed out, which was counterindicated when he thought about his father and his grandfather. But not only, not only did he create a family in that way by keeping the shvatim together, but ultimately the idea of shvatim was, uh, if not rejected, certainly pushed aside and Bnei Yisrael emerged as Yehuda, right? They were, they were just Yehuda. And, uh, and on that basis, it was clear that they were part of the same, part of the same family. Okay, have a good Shabbos. Shabbos.